Sheep hear and follow their shepherd's voice. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. What a joy it is to study the scriptures with you each day here on Abounding Grace. We sure look forward to it and we hope you do as well. You know, in Christ, we are truly blessed beyond measure. It's nice to know we don't have to wander aimlessly through life, but we have the good shepherd to guide and to take care of us. Now that's a truth to cling to in troubling times like these. Today, the plan is to cover the first few verses of John chapter 10. You might immediately recognize this as the place where Jesus refers to himself as the Good Shepherd. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Take your Bibles and open them to John's Gospel, chapter 10. You'll recall last time in chapter 9 that it ended really, really well. Something that was ugly, something that could have been the worst, ended very well because Jesus redeemed the situation. The religious rulers of the day had cast out this young man. For what? What was he cast out? Why was he cast out of society? Why was he thrown out of the synagogue? Because his, he was healed of his blindness, that he was born blind from birth. That's why. He was born blind from birth, and Jesus healed him. And this infuriated the religious rulers because in their minds, Jesus broke their law. And they would say they broke the law, but in reality, Jesus simply crossed lines with their man-made religion. And the response was to cast him out. And yet Jesus, the Bible says, sought him and found him in the temple, this young man, and restored him into relationship, brought him to salvation and encouraged him. And it reminds us just in that, that Jesus himself, he's always going after the unreachable. He's always going after those that are cast out. He's always going after those that might be written off or those that, ha- that might, folks have given up on them. I'm certain that some of you have that testimony where you look back at your life and, and people just gave up on you. Maybe even your own mom and dad just looked at your life and go, you know, there's no hope for him. There's no hope for her. But aren't you glad that God, you know, the Bible says that even if your mother and father forsake you, that God will not forsake you. That even if people give up on you, even if the religious establishment of the day kick you out for what? Being healed. That's all he did. He didn't do anything, but he, the greatest day of his life ended with, well, in the Lord, it was a great day. In man-made religion, it was a horrible day, but Jesus redeemed it all. And I was thinking, you know, many of us are the unreachables of our generation. Many of us come from a background that, wow, you know, God would choose to use you and God would choose to use me. Just like the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that God has made a purposeful choice. The Bible says God has chosen the foolish things of the world. And you think, well, foolish things? No, really, that's a phrase referring to you and me. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's chosen to use you and me despite our background. 
despite where we came from. He intervened in our lives, transformed our lives. Why? Because the gospel transforms lives. You know that a person saved, one of the, re- one of the ways you can see that a person has a real relationship with God is that they're living a different life than they did before. Their life is transformed. That they are different people. You know, the whole movement of Calvary Chapel, you know, that's, we're a part of that family of churches, Calvary Chapel. It started with a revival in the late 60s. Not just with a man by the name of Chuck Smith. He was overseeing Calvary Chapel. But this revival was among many different ministries in that day. Reaching out to a very particular group of people that society had cast out. The hippies. They, they had decided themselves to check out. You know, some of you are like, well, I was a hippie. I'm still a hippie. Okay, all right. So come back to society. Come back in. You know, you look at it and you go, wow, they just decided to check out, just kind of be high and high on drugs and just do their own thing. And, and, and yet the, the world would look at them, even the, the modern church, the church at the time would go, you know what? There's no hope for them. But in God, there was. And if you were to come to one of our welcome gatherings, you know, if you're new to the church and you want more information on the church, you want to meet the pastors and such, we have these meetings quarterly where we'll gather down in the cafe and we'll talk about what God is doing among us and give you a little bit of the history. One of the gifts that we'll give you in that time is a book titled Harvest. And it's a book that chronicles the few men, the first few men that God used to plant churches within this movement and their testimonies. And they're so different. My pastor's in that. My pastor, Pastor Jeff Johnson from Calvary Chapel in Downey, California, his story was is he was a major drug dealer in Downey. That was his deal. And that was what he was into. And God just interrupted his life, delivered him from that lifestyle of destroying lives and used him now to build lives, to, to transform, be a, a vessel to transform lives to bring life into someone instead of death. And for that, I'm very grateful. And the subtitle of that book is this. It says, Gang Members, Drug Addicts, Mental Patients, Society's Rejects, The Amazing Story of Calvary Chapel, and the Unlikely Leaders God Called. And in each generation, God has reached down, as D.L. Moody once said, to the guttermost. I mean, he will go as far as he needs to go to transform a life to change a person. And I'm glad he did. And I'm glad God still does. And I'm glad that God will change a life as you're praying for people in your life. Like maybe you're even praying for change in your own life. You need to walk away from addiction. You need to walk away from the attitudes. You need to walk away from the behavior. Like God is still transforming lives today. He's still working in you and and will work in you and can work in you if you present yourself to him. There is hope in the Lord. And no matter how far somebody gets, you know, and we're looking at our society, we're looking at some things and we're just like, how can we not just shake our head of some of the things that are happening? And yet in the moment that we're shaking our head, you know, just like, oh, I can't believe this. We need to shake our head in a way, but you know what? God can intervene. That, That person, what they're going through, what they're, man, that God can make a difference. And you look at this guy that was sort of, cast out from the man-made religion of the day. He wasn't cast out from the Lord. Remember that. Remember that. Man-made religion is very, very dangerous. And how careful we need to be to not create some man-made ordinances that would prevent someone from coming into a deep relationship with the Lord. So let's pick up in chapter 9 
for the sake of review in verse 40 so we can gain the context of chapter 10 because this is another place in the Bible where there's an unfortunate chapter break. He does change the direction of his teaching a little bit, but the chapter break takes away from the context of the audience that he's speaking to. Now remember, in the original Hebrew of the Old Testament and the original Greek of the New Testament, there were no chapter breaks, there were no verses. You just read it straight through. Um, They were added many years later, uh, many centuries later, to help us to remember, kind of like putting addresses to certain passages. So the chapter breaks are not inspired of God. Uh, They were added later to help us, and most of them are very helpful. Some are just put in the wrong direction. Look at verse 40 of chapter 9. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 5. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. Jesus is using very vivid symbolism in this discussion with these religious rulers that are leaders that are following him. He's using a very familiar picture for the first century person, and that is the picture of a shepherd with his sheep. Very common. I know it's very different from what you and I are used to. Uh, We don't see much or talk much or even are involved much with shepherds and sheep, but this was a very common practice. Most of the Israeli economy of the day was made up of shepherds and sheep and flocks and gardens and and complete, you know, it it was an agrarian society where they had large fields of corn and large flocks and herds. And the sheep herder was an important structure, a very important person in the first century. Uh, They lived a very simple life, very different than us. They, They took care of the sheep. They lived out in the countryside. And I love that Jesus not only do we get the picture of Jesus going after the outcast or the one that's cast out, but he also, we get a picture of here, Jesus using the language of the day. It's so important when you're sharing the gospel to be able to connect with people and speak their language. Making sure that you don't use all sorts of Bible uh, terms that they don't know anything about. And, and if you do use a Bible term, make sure that you explain it. And explain it in such a way where you can use an illustration or a metaphor or something that can really bring about an understanding of the term that you're using. And that's what he's doing here. He's talking to them about sheep and sheepfolds and shepherds and thieves. Now, a sheepfold in your mind, if you want to picture it, think of it as a large, round enclosure, you know, that could fit a couple hundred sheep, very large, that was made on the way. A shepherd would take, you know, different sticks and rocks and build a wall so that overnight the sheep of many shepherds could come into the sheepfold. And so it was built around about six feet high walls, and there was no door 
There were a couple ways that were that that opening was covered. One was with a doorkeeper. Now, the doorkeeper would often, either the doorkeeper or the shepherd would lay in front of the opening. They would be the door. There wouldn't be a physical door. They themselves would be the door. And the sheep would be kind of, you know, timid to walk out or try to walk over them or they weren't able to walk over them. At other times, there was a small little door that the doorkeeper took care of and the shepherd there trusted the doorkeeper with the sheep. Either way, this was an illustration of Jesus talking to them about God doing something new through him. He's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, and now Jesus is taking the opportunity in the backdrop of man-made religion, how this religious structure has outcasting people that have done nothing wrong whatsoever, but have come to Messiah, and he says, I want you guys to know, verse 1, that he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, That's a thief and a robber. Later on, he describes this thief and the robber. Remember verse 10? The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is talking about a new order, a new group. The sheepfold is a picture of a new work of God, a picture of the church, that this sheepfold is replacing present-day Judaism with the fulfillment of God's will in the coming of Messiah. Now, all throughout the scriptures, God is seen as a shepherd to his people. If you're taking notes, notice a couple of the passages with me. In Micah chapter 2, verse 12, it says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like the sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of the pasture. They shall make a loud noise because of so many people. And how about the familiar psalm, Psalm 23? I mean, just about everybody knows Psalm 23. And it begins with what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a vivid picture. Also in Psalm 95, verse 7, the Bible says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10 uh, and verse 11, it says that God will feed his flock like a shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, God is not only seen as a shepherd, but he also commissions the leaders of Israel to be good shepherds themselves. In Jeremiah, God talks about the shepherds not taking care of the people of God and that God, he himself, will provide shepherds after his own heart. The, The shepherd caring for Well, we've seen in previous studies how God compares you and me to being sheep. We're sheep. It's not the most flattering comparison in our lives because, let's face it, uh, those that study such things will tell us that sheep, the sheep aren't the smartest animals around. They can't protect themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't run very fast. They will follow one another and not really, you know, it's even been recorded many, many times of sheep wandering around and one sheep will jump off a cliff to its own death to be followed by all of his friends. Like they don't look down and go, I don't think that's a good idea. You know, they don't do that. It's not a good idea. Let's just follow Charlie. Sure. Sheep need a shepherd. And the good news of the gospel is that God has provided a shepherd for his sheep. 
I'm not speaking of the pastor of the church. I'm speaking of Jesus Christ himself. Now, the pastors and the leaders of the church with that type of order in God's economy are, would be considered under-shepherds, servants of the Lord. They're not the end. God is the end, and he's provided Jesus as the good shepherd, as we'll learn in this chapter. This is all really today is introductory for our time in the rest of the chapter, but Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who what? Lays down his life for the sheep. Very vivid imagery. Now, Pastor John Corson, he does a good job in his commentary painting a picture for us of what the, the first century shepherd would look like. He would have this robe-like garment on, a tunic, a cotton tunic, with a large belt that he would come around his waist here. And on his belt, he would have different tools of the trade. If you're taking notes, it's really neat to think of all the things that would be on the shepherd's belt to take care of us. For example, number one, he would have a leather pouch. And in that leather pouch, he would have perhaps his lunch, but for sure, he would always have a supply of some small stones in that pouch. He'd always have some ammunition with him to protect his sheep because the second thing he'd have on his belt is a sling. With his sling, he would use it both to scare off predators and also to draw back a wandering sheep. The shepherds practice using the sling so much that an experienced shepherd would have such a precise aim that he'd be able to drop a stone right in front of the nose of a straying sheep, having drawing it back and scaring it back into the flock. Now, for those of you that are with us studying on Wednesday nights, you know it wasn't too many weeks ago that we were studying a young man by the name of David who was known as a shepherd boy. He, he, that was his responsibility. And that young boy, David, as he went out to take food to his brothers, he, had this, he heard this giant of a man, his name is Goliath, mocking the people of God, and he just couldn't take it. And what did he do but pick up five smooth stones and take his sling, and all he needed, he was such a precise, you know, not only was there the miraculous work of God, but he was such a precise shepherd that he was able in one shot to take Goliath down. It's a beautiful picture. Thirdly, he, the, the shepherd would have on his belt a horn of oil, like a little container of oil. And with this oil, he would anoint the heads of his sheep, both as an insect repellent. He'd also anoint the wounds, you know, as a salve on his sheep. But also he would put this oil on the sheep's heads in order to reduce the friction when the sheep would be butting heads with one another. Now, let's just think of that for a second. Because if we're described as sheep, and we come together as a flock or as a group of people, that probably means that you will find yourself butting heads with other sheep from time to time. Has that ever happened to you? You ever had a little bit of issues? Anybody? Boom. And, and, and one of the things that you need, one of the things that we pray for is that the Lord would just anoint you with the oil of his Holy Spirit so that that friction... It's, so, so I say this and I bring it out just so you know, that's normal. Friction among the sheep of God is normal. It's not what we want, and it's not the best, but we're human. And so we do have friction from time to time. We do butt heads from time to time. And so I just find myself praying for the oil of the Holy Spirit to anoint me for those times in my life. You know, think about the friction that can be reduced with the fruit of the Spirit flowing in your life. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, just like, oh, I know there's going to be times when we butt heads with one another or there's going to be times when we don't, don't agree, but the lubricant that keeps us close and it keeps us in unity as a church, keeps us in unity as a group of believers is the anointing of the Lord, our good shepherd with the oil of the Spirit. I thought that was beautiful. Fourthly, uh, the shepherd would have in his hand or hanging from his belt a rod. Now, the rod was a small club-like instrument that was used to fight off predators in close hand-to-hand combat situations. But you know, the rod was also used by the shepherd as an instrument of correction for those few lambs that would wander off. You know, if a sheep was continually, persistently wandering away or continually, persistently butting heads with other sheep, it's been said that the shepherd would use the rod on that wandering sheep to go out, and when they found that sheep, they would use the rod to break one of the legs of the sheep. And you're like, wow, that's pretty heavy. I know when I read that, I'm like, man, that's a heavy-duty thing. But then the shepherd would take that limp sheep and put it, and you've seen some of the pictures, I think, of this being illustrated, where you put the sheep around his neck, and for the days that it took for that leg to heal, he would, spin, he would carry the sheep around wherever he would go. And as he would nurse, he would nurse that back to health, there would be such a closeness and such a bond between the sheep and the shepherd that once he was healed and he was able to go along the flock again, he would never wander away again. And it made me think about a couple of things. The discipline of the Lord as our shepherd. Do you know the Bible says in Hebrews for us not to despise the chastening of the Lord? Now, we don't use the word chastening very much anymore. It's better to think of it that don't despise when God corrects you when God disciplines you. You see, God isn't one to punish. Now, some of us grew up in homes. I did. My parents did the best they could with this crazy kid. You know, that they just, I was always in trouble. I was a rotten kid until I was in my 20s. I was just rotten. And my kids were, my parents were always punishing me um, for good reason. But they didn't do a lot of discipline. And some of you probably grew up in a home like that too, where you confuse punishment with discipline. See, the God the Father, he doesn't punish. Why? Because Jesus Christ took the punishment for your sin upon himself. So, so he doesn't punish us when we find ourselves in a place of wandering around or persistent rebellion. What he does is he corrects us. He disciplines us. And it can be very painful. It can be a very painful process to be disciplined by the Lord. But at the picture just is so sweet to me that when through the discipline of God, Because you you might be here today and you go, well, Ed, I haven't really experienced the discipline of God all that much. Well, that's something to be concerned about because the Bible says that God will discipline his kids. That it comes from. And and if you're one of his kids, you're going to experience the discipline of God. If you're not one of his kids, you won't experience the discipline of God. It's probably the same with you. You know, I, I don't discipline other people's kids. They're not my kids. I might talk to their parents, you know, hey, something happened, and I let, I'll leave it to the parents. It's, they're your kids. You're responsible to discipline them. But me, I discipline my own kids. I don't expect you or want you to discipline my kids. I do it myself. And I learned from the mistakes even of my parents. And, and after I got saved, I started to learn what discipline was all about. And, and it was to really, another word for discipline is training. I'm training my kids for when they grow up, how to navigate in life. And it wasn't just to punish them because I'm impatient or I'm upset with them. It's to discipline them. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're going through the Gospel of John right now, and you can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And we're also on OnePlace.com and have a podcast, too. We all have stubborn habits in our lives. Maybe it's a tendency to worry, drink alcohol, lust, or curse. And perhaps you're finding it very difficult to break. Well, we've got a helpful book to share with you from Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. As the name of the title would suggest, this book will help you shake that nasty habit. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for How to Break a Stubborn Habit. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call us at 877-30-GRACE. Well, next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of John. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.